Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. Listen, the miracle that we see right here, the miracle is sometimes in the mundane. You, you just live in life and then God shows up. Pastor Randy says God is working in the mundane. Today, he's teaching from Luke chapter 4. Here's Pastor Randy. But open your Bibles, if you would, to the gospel according to the physician, uh, chapter 4. And, and what, when they would go to the synagogue, which were places where they would study, not the temple in Jerusalem, but the synagogue, it's where Jewish people would come and study. This is what they would do. They stood for prayer, and they stood when they read the scripture. And when the teaching went on, they sat down. Different level of authority there. We're gonna read scripture, would you guys stand? Luke chapter four, verses 18 through 19. This is Jesus' mission statement. This is, Jesus teaches this passage. Luke puts this early in his writing. Matthew and Mark tend to be more chronological. John tends to be more thematic, but Luke tends to put things in categories. And he's putting this passage here probably earlier than it happens in terms of the chronology, but he, he puts this first because of the priority of it. This is the first, Jesus is beginning his ministry here. This is Jesus' mission statement. Look at what it is. This is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. Uh, this, is, this is Luke, Luke 4.18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. May God bless the reading of his word, and you can be seated. Last week, we talked about that the enemy's got three plays. Jesus had been, had been baptized the, the spirit of God had, had opened up between heaven and earth, and, and it says that, that the father says to him, this is my beloved son. I love that word beloved. It's what I call Anita most of the time. Not honey, not sugar pops, none of those things. Beloved. And, and I, love, I love that phrase, beloved. And, and it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I talked to you last week about the verb tense of, of whom I'm well pleased meant past, present, and future. There, there, we're not, there's no trial here. I, I love you, I am well pleased, I have been well pleased, I will be well pleased, and, and because of what Jesus does on the cross, the righteousness of Jesus is given to us, imputed, to, imputed righteousness is given to us, and because of that, that's how he views us as his children, you don't get up every morning and with, with, a, with a scorecard, church. You get up every morning with a relationship, with a father. That's why we pray the way that we pray. And Jesus goes into the wilderness. Remember, there is testing, and a test is something that you take with the goal being that you'll pass it. Got a lot of teachers in the room praying for y'all every day. Your goal is that your kids pass, right, Betsy? You, you, you don't want them to all fail. If all of them fail, something's really wrong. You actually would like for the, all of them to, to reach the, the AKS, you know, and applied knowledge and skills. Is that it? 
I was a teacher. I had a teaching degree. I, I passed the NTE back a long time ago. But, but, but it, you want your kids to do well. That's the goal here. That's what a test does. A trial is just life. That's just, we just go through it. It just happens. But then there's temptations. Temptations is something the enemy or us puts in front of ourselves, but the enemy puts in front of us so that we'll fail. And the enemy comes to Jesus in the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days, and he's got three plays. The devil always has had three plays. He had three plays in the garden. He has three plays in the desert. First John talks about that the devil's got three plays. Here's the first one, your hungers, your passions. And I need to get these things filled. You should get these things filled. That's what the enemy says to you. Here's the second one, your identity. This is who you are, whether you measure up or not, whether you matter or not. And here's the third one. And this is the one that I think he comes to us a lot with. Those of us that have walked with him, that trust in him, that believe in him, is he comes and says, does God really care? Or is this, is this the matrix? Are you just some, some puppet on a string here in this play? Or, or does God really care about you? Do you really ultimately matter to God? Or, or is this just some sort of cosmic theater that you're a participant in? I think that the enemy comes and whispers that in our ears sometimes. Three plays. But all of those things, you're gonna see this today, all of those things, that what, what the enemy means for evil, God intends for good. That's what Joseph says in Genesis 50. Joseph, the, the favored son of Jacob, he, he, he tells his brothers, listen, I had a dream, not like Dr. King's dream in this one, not one of service, but in this one, he says, I had a dream and all of you are gonna bow down to me. Now, I have three older brothers and let me just tell you, it wouldn't work any better with them than it did for Joseph. <laughs> How many of y'all are the youngest, youngest one? And you, you know this, right? Like if you went to your older brothers and sisters and said, listen, I just wanna tell you something. God came and told me I'm the favorite. My brothers always insisted that mom thought that of me, but each of us thought the other one was the favorite. But, but it, we didn't, it didn't work well, and they said, well, let's kill him. And Reuben, ironically the oldest, ironically the son of Leah, not Rachel, Leah, Reuben says, no, let's not do that, and let's just throw him in this pit, and Reuben's plan was to come back and get him. They go to the father and said, and said, he's dead, and they took his robe and, and put blood on it and said, he's dead. And, and Joseph goes into a foreign land, and he's sold as a slave, and he's accused of doing a horrible thing, and nobody really believed he did it. If they believed he did it, they'd have killed him, and, but they threw him in prison just because they, they didn't want to make the woman look bad, and, and they, so they throw him to prison, and then, and then he, he's treated horribly there, and, and, and even though God still keeps speaking to him, and even though Joseph keeps listening to God, it's years and years and years, and finally Joseph is put in the place of being the number two guy in all of Egypt, and who shows up but his brother's. And they need him because there's a famine in their land. And then daddy dies, and they wonder if it's all gonna fall apart. Oh, little brother, we knew what his dreams were. Now he's gonna drop it on us. And this is what Joseph says. No, you intended it for evil, but God meant it for good. This is the amazing thing about this book. It's got betrayals and deceit and affairs and uh, adultery, and, and, and that's the good people. If I was editing, I would, there's some, David and Bathsheba, it doesn't get in there. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. 
Simon Peter? No, man. Peter goes in there and, and, and tells him, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. Put me on the cross. And that's not how it worked. No, I, I mean, no. Judas throws the money back at him, and he did eventually. But it's too late. This is, this is the thing, though. God will use those desolate places of preparation for amazing things. So the title of this sermon today, what did I title it? Another dry, boring, mundane sermon. Is that what I titled it? It's in your notes. Mundane, yeah. Yeah, boring morning at church. I, I was gonna, do we have a picture of bored people at church? I was gonna have a, yeah, there they are, okay. None of y'all go to sleep. No, listen, this happened to me once. This is not in my notes, okay? But we cut a song, so I get five extra minutes. All right. So, so I was in a class once. This has nothing to do with the sermon, all right? I was in a class once, and, and I used to egg the, egg the teacher on like a literature professor, and I would like engage with a literature professor. And, and this guy next to me one day, he goes, Randy, just stop talking. Just leave us, stop so we can get out of class, you know? And, and, and I, so I didn't, I'm waiting for my time. He falls asleep one day in class. I, this is the only class I ever had with Anita. You can ask her about this. And, and uh, cause I was, I'd, I'd gotten hurt my freshman year and, and had, to, had to take, like, so I'm a junior and I'm taking a freshman literature class. And, and, uh, and I, this guy, he falls asleep. And it's like, this is my moment. And I poked him and I said, hey, the teacher wants you to pray. <laughs> he stood up, let's pray, Jesus. <laughs> That's the great thing about going to a Christian college, okay? So don't go to sleep or I'll call on you and ask you to pray, all right? Chapter, chapter four, though, watch this. Watch what happens in another dry, boring, mundane, planned out day here at, at church that Jesus goes, verse 14, he goes into the spirit to Galilee. This is Capernaum, and, and a report about him goes out. And all the surrounding country, that word all, you're gonna see it a lot here. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all, and he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, hometown. Little town, he's born in a small town. John Mellencamp's got nothing on him. As was the custom, he went to the synagogue. This is what Jesus did. Now, you would ask this question. Why would Jesus go to the synagogue? Wouldn't, like, wouldn't you think, and he's in his hometown, so his mother and his brothers are there. Joseph, it doesn't seem like is in the story. The church fathers don't really write anything about Joseph. It seems like he dies early on in all probability. What, don't you think Jesus' brothers would be like, Jesus, let's just stay here. We got much better chairs here. Dad was a carpenter. We got comfortable chairs. It's stone slabs at the synagogue. Those are not comfortable. We do have cushy chairs. But it's like the, the, the music at the synagogue today, it won't be what we like. No, we like Bethel and they're gonna play Elevation. We like, we like gospel and they're not gonna play gospel today. We, no, it, let's stay home today, Jesus. You, you just teach us here. But that wasn't what Jesus did. Jesus went. Do you think the sermons were, these were Pharisees teaching. They weren't very good. This, you, you, I don't think any of them, you know, ever like said, now repeat after me or anything. like. I mean, there was nothing, they didn't have video clips or nothing. It was just a dry, dry, boring days. But Jesus went. You know, you being here matters to other people. I just tell you, when the room's full, it's easier to sing. It is. It's easier to lead worship. It's easier to preach when y'all say amen. Amen. Thank you. 
And if it's not going good, just say, Jesus, help him. I don't care, all right? Anything. It's, it's when, when, when you're, you're a part, of, you're, you being here, you're like, well, you know, I don't know that I'm, what am I doing here? I don't even know what I'm doing here. Listen, you are a witness to the people around you. And I know, look, I know some of y'all drive from a long way to be here. Thank you for doing that. Thank, I, I, I know that for some of you guys, you worked last night and you're here. Thank you. I know some of y'all are leaving here and you're gonna go straight to work. I know that for some of you all, you, you got two jobs and this is the only gap you get in the week and you're here. Thank you. But you never know when something's gonna happen. There's gonna be a football game tomorrow night. We hope. Um, and, and I'm gonna be really, I'm gonna lay my cards on the table. I'm wanting Georgia to win, but I need to see it. Um, <laughs> Jesus help them. <laughs> but, but, but I'm gonna just be candid with you if you're more excited about tomorrow night than you are about this morning, I'm not sure what I can do for you. All right, I'm gonna get back to the Bible. All right. This, this is, they, they went and he stood up to read. Remember what I said? The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Now, let me tell you why this is this passage. In 168, BC, a guy named Antichus comes through. He was a Syrian king, and he comes through, and he takes over Israel and sacrifices a pig to Zeus on the altar in the temple, and he outlaws the reading of the law. Before, they had broken the law up into equal sections, and they would read the, the law every, every week at the synagogue on the Sabbath day, but he had outlawed that, and this is what the priests did. This is what the, 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 the rabbis did and the Pharisees did, this is what they did. They said, okay, we can't read that, so we'll read the prophets. So after the Maccabean revolt, where we get Hanukkah, after that, they were able to read again, and they read the law and the prophets. So someone had probably already read the law, and they gave Jesus this piece of scripture, which was pre-picked out for him to read. This, Jesus doesn't pick this passage out. Jesus shows up. Listen, the miracle that we see right here, the miracle is sometimes in the mundane. You, you're just living life, and then God shows up. It, it's, it, you're... You're wanting to see the scrolls, the, the sky roll back as a scroll. Sometimes it's just in a normal day. And at the end of the day, you stop and you realize you go back. And this is why we kairos every day. We stop at the end of the day and ask yourself, where did I see God today? And he might just tell you. He might just show you. There's things that happen, these miracles that happen in the mundane of life. And this is this passage the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. We hear a lot about that word anointing in our culture. And a lot of people say, well, anointing means blessing or power or something. But look at what anointing is to Jesus. Look at what it means for Jesus to have this anointing on him. To proclaim, the Greek word there, caruso, it's a word that can be used as a, as a, as a, as a verb, caruso or kerygma, kerygma, a noun, to proclaim or the proclamation. 
It's all through the New Testament. It means, it means we're, we're, gonna, we're not just telling you, we're proclaiming, David, you've gotta grasp this. You've gotta understand this. You don't get this. You, there is good news for you. I've gotta proclaim this in your life. That's, that's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. That's why we're starting a Spanish service next Sunday at noon. Because there are, there are Hispanic people that don't speak English that are in this community and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be spoken in their language in a way that they can hear. That's the proclamation. The proclamation of the good news to the poor. Well, Lord, you can't run a church on the poor. How are we gonna finance it? He sent me to proclaim, again, that same word, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind. And the reading of this in, in Isaiah, it, it's, it leans more into a healing, but here Jesus paraphrases. And by the way, I can't paraphrase God's word. Jesus can, he, or he inspired it. So if Jesus, some of your Bibles have a passage in there that is not in the ESV. Jesus, it appears, doesn't say that part of this passage. He can do that, I can't. This is not about physical healing, although we're gonna see Jesus do physical healing. This is about giving vision to people, and this is the problem, I think, in our world today. I think we've lost our vision. To set at liberty those that are oppressed. This is very similar to what he says to proclaim liberty, but now there's an action. We're gonna set at liberty those that are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus speaks this in all likelihood in the year of Jubilee every 50 years in the Jewish culture. This is what would happen. If I had some land and I sold it to Caleb and I sold it in year 25 of the year of Jubilee, at year 50, that land goes back to my family. Poverty would never be a normal part of this culture. It was a balancing there. This was Jubilee. It's the year of God's favor. It means that, that everyone gets a fresh start again. And, and Caleb can use that land for 25 years and get wealthier, but my family won't be destitute forever. It keeps people from being into slavery. It was this promise, this all of that goes together, the jubilee and the, and, and, the con, and the proclamation to the oppressed and the giving vision, all of this is there. And he rolls up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. Good job, Jesus. And the eyes of all, here's that word all, in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Wow, this is our boy, our small town boy. Look at it, didn't he do good? And if I'm Jesus' publicist, I'm like, Jesus, just stop right here. Okay, I don't know who the, pu okay, I'm gonna just say this and I'll, I'll be in trouble, but, but there's only one, two elders in the room. So, all right, that's not a quorum. If, I think there's some people in politics that if I was there, I think I could do a better job as their publicist than their publicist does. It'd be like, just stop talking. That was good. Don't say another word. Just stop right now. If I'm, am I in trouble, Caleb? Okay, all right, okay. 
I don't know if Caleb's going, I don't know what he's doing, all right? Or I'm not in trouble. He, Jesus, if Jesus, if you're Jesus' publicist, you're like, stop talking right now. That was good. That was good. But he doesn't stop. He said, doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What have we heard you did in Capernaum? Do here in your hometown as well. He said, truly, I say to you, no prophet's acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zaphirath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. He's talking about, this is what he's saying, the Jews got overlooked for the Gentiles because the Jews weren't following God. That does not go over well in a synagogue. Nobody healed but Naaman the leper. Jesus is losing his audience. He should have dropped the mic verses before, walked off the stage, shaking hands, said, vote for me in November. He should have done that, but he doesn't. He loses his crowd. I was always thinking like, you know, I was a youth pastor for 34 years and I kept thinking, there will be a day that I can no longer relate to teenagers. And I'm wondering, will that, will that day be like a hard stop or will it be gradual? And we were at camp one year. This was like, this was like about 15 years ago. We were at camp and they have this mud hill. And I got all the boys together for that morning before the mud hill. I got all the boys together and I get them down on the field and I'm doing my best Matt Foley imitation um, Chris Farley's Matt Foley, and you know, I pulled my pants up and tucked my shirt in, and I had a whistle, and I'm yelling at him. I'm like, all right, boys, get down. I have no idea what this accent is. And, but, but get down, and let's, let's beat your face in the mud. You know, and I'm having him do push-ups, and I'm down on the ground, and I'm pounding on the ground, and I'm throwing dirt on him and all this stuff, and you know, for the mud hill, for us to do the mud hill. Well, at lunchtime, the gir- some of the girl leaders came up to me, and they said, Pastor Randy, you know, you've always really been big on empowering young ladies and, and you gave the boys a pep talk and we don't have one and we're doing the mud hill too. I said, I'll give you one then I'll, I'll, get, I'll do one. I said, before you girls go up the hill, I'll give you a pep talk. So our boys did the mud hill and I did it with them and we were the fastest church at camp. Of, there was like 30 churches there and we were the fast, our boys were the champions. We got up the hill the fastest mud hill. I mean, it was, it's this long hill and it's just sheer mud and as slick as it can be. And, and we got up, you have to like form a human ladder basically to get up this hill. And we got up the hill in record time. And, and I come down and, you know, I'm covered in mud and my glasses were off and the girls are like, hey, Randy, we're, we're getting ready to go. So I climb up on this rock and I have this megaphone and I'm like, all right, girls, here we go. All right, let's do some of these. Come on, girls. And these girls are like, I'm like, all right, girls, get reach in the mud, put some mud on your head, get ready. And they're like, and I'm standing there and I'm like, this is the moment. I'm done in youth ministry. This is the moment. Today is my last day as a youth pastor. I've lost it. And all of a sudden, from behind these girls that I'm trying to motivate, this girl raises her hand. She goes, Pastor Randy, that's another church. We're back here. (laughs) This poor group of kids, I'm terrorizing (laughs) these poor girls. Our girls finished second, by the way, right behind our boys. Jesus loses his crowd big time. Big, big, big time. 
And it says that they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill which was on the town which was built so they could throw him down the cliff. Listen, sometimes it's not the truth. Sometimes it's the town. It might not be, it might not be you. It might be the people you work with. It might not be you. It might be your family. It might not be you, it might be your husband or wife. It might not be that you're doing it wrong and you think, I could do this better and if I did this better, it would have a better audience. It might not be the truth, it might be the town. So don't be discouraged, be faithful. Don't be discouraged, be faithful. It might not be you, it might be your kids. It might not be you, it might be your parents. Don't be discouraged, be faithful. And when you're in the midst of that, remember this, that those experiences that you had before, he uses those. You see, they drove him to the edge of town and brought him up to the brow of a hill, but Jesus wasn't afraid of heights. He'd already done that. He'd already been there and he'd already done that. He'd already had that experience. So he goes to Capernaum and he does amazing things. He casts out demons and the demons wanna identify him, but D Jesus was not interested in the testimony of demons. He wanted the testimony of those that were oppressed. Jesus isn't there to fight against the demons. Jesus doesn't go to war against the devil. Jesus goes to war against the devil by stepping into the lives of those that are being oppressed by the devil. You don't need to get a squirt gun with holy water and walk around shooting people with it. You don't need to slay people. You have to walk into life and live faithful. You have to reach into the darkness. And here's the hard thing. Sometimes to, to fight the darkness let me tell you, this is how you fight the darkness every time. You just turn on the light. But sometimes to turn on the light, you gotta put your hand into a dark room. And that can be a scary thing. You, you step into situations and, and things that are difficult and painful. And Jesus goes and he, he heals people. He, in verse 38, he, he comes to Simon's house and his mother-in-law is, is sick. And he he. he heals her. He, he goes, verse 40, and the sun was setting and all who had, who had any were, who were sick came to him with diseases and brought them to him. And look what Jesus does. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. You, I know that you can tell a doc, but that's not what Scott does in Clarkston. He has a clinic and he goes and he gets into the life of people. And you can do virtual stuff for a period of time, but at some point you have to engage in people's lives. And that can be a really scary and hard thing. And those memories and those moments are hard things. I was listening to Rick Warren this week. He's pastor at Saddleback. Worship team, get ready, I'm almost done. Rick was talking about wrapping up his ministry. He's retiring from Saddleback and he said, he said, let me tell you pastors how you're doing this wrong, your social media stuff, you're doing it all wrong. He said, you, you, you make your social media posts and you try to make yourself look perfect, like your life is perfect. He goes, nobody's attracted to that. Now when I do, when I post pictures, 
Anita goes, that's a horrible picture of me. And I say, sweetheart, on your worst day, you're 99% better than me. So I just try to find pictures of me that aren't horrible. And that's what we kind of do with a lot of the things we do. I do it too. He said, people are attracted to your pain, to the hurts you go through. He said, people, when, when you go through those, those moments, that's how God uses you. This, this week, I got three, three deaths that I'm walking through with people from this church. Thursday, we'll go to Canton and they'll fold a flag and they'll give that to Judy Person. And like I do every time when I'm in that situation, I, I remember what my mom was wearing when they gave her my dad's flag. This, this week, we're walking, through, we're walking through the death of somebody in this church that took their life. By the way, suicide takes your pain and multiplies it by everyone you love. It is a lie from the devil that it's better without you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Do not believe that. That's a cursed lie. But every time I walk into a situation, a home where that's happened, I'm 21 years old again. I'm wearing my police uniform. I'm standing in the lobby of, of our police station. And one of my dearest friends had taken his life that night, and I was working that night. And I'm in this room full of cops and state police and investigators, and I'm trying to act like I belong in that room, and I am torn apart inside. And the pictures are there and the evidence is there and they're trying to figure out was this a homicide or a suicide and I'm just standing there and it's all a blur to me because I prayed with this guy every Thursday. We fasted and prayed and there were three of us and one of those guys is gonna come and preach here and I can't say much else about it but, but he's a hero of mine and then it was my friend and I'm emotionally back there again and today, when I'm with Trinity and her family, man, my dad died and I didn't get to tell him bye. My dad was 75 and was, was like perfect. He was big and strong and been healthy his whole life and he died and I didn't get to tell him bye. And I'd been speaking at a camp and he had called me. I didn't call back that night. And I remember that. And when I'm in those moments, I remember what my friend Steve Brown, my mentor Steve Brown came up to me. We had, the week before we'd buried our little girl and I'd buried my dad and my daughter in six months. And Steve Brown came up to me and he put his hand on my shoulder in class. And he said, Randy, here's the difference between you and everybody else in this room. You all know what to do with the Greek verb, but now you know what to do with pain. Jesus went into the wilderness and experienced those things and those very things played out 
Jesus knew what it was like to be rejected by the people from your hometown. Jesus knew what all those things were like. And when you can grasp that and you can walk in that, you can use those worst moments of your life for his glory. And he will. And he will. Pray with me. Jesus, you tell us to turn the light on in a dark room. And in those moments that nothing makes sense, in those moments that the darkness seems to be overwhelming, you tell us to be a people that step into the brokenness in the midst of our pain and be your people. I wanna read for you guys just this word. It's not our benediction of the day. It's just our, our call to worship. It's from the book of Jude. In the book of Jude, it says that there's grumblers and malcontents and they follow their own sinful desires, loud mouth boasters, sounds like our culture today, showing favoritism to gain advantage. He said there'll be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. They cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But then he says this, listen to this church, this is you, but you beloved, but you beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit and keep yourself in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To, sh to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Stand with me, church. To present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy in the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Let me tell you, church, why in the Bible it leaves all the bad stories in and doesn't edit them out, because this is not heaven. But there is a heaven. There is a heaven by God, there is a heaven. That's not a profanity curse. It's by God. That's how we get it. And this is not it. And he uses those things, even the worst things. Even the things we wished we hadn't done and the moments we wish we could forget about. The betrayals, the denials. Including our own. For his glory. And that's how he builds his church. You have to reach into the darkness sometimes, church. And he'll use those things. Amen. And may you see your life in wonder this week. Thanks for listening. I'm Myrna Brown.